Open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. It's Christmas. Anyone excited about that? And the question that you should be asked at Christmas is, what are you giving for Christmas this year? That's not the typical question, is it? Usually it's, what are you getting for Christmas? Or what do you hope to get for Christmas? But Christmas really should not be about what we get. It really should be about what we give. Christmas should be not about wanting more of those things that are wrapped in that fancy paper, but really Christmas should be about giving, not just of material possessions, but really giving of ourselves to serve other people, to love other people. And and the reason we give gifts at Christmas is to image God, to reflect God as the one who is the greatest giver and the greatest gift that God has given to us is the gift of himself. God has given us his son, and he gave up his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This morning, what I want to do is I want to think about the gift of God to us, of himself, and and within that gift of God, through Jesus Christ, the gifts that God offers to us, really the the supernatural gifts that God gives to us. You see, God is a a giving God. In fact, if you are breathing in here this morning, and I hope you still are, then you have that breath because God has chosen to give it to you. Every breath you breathe is because God, the Almighty, Job 33.4 says, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. And so you should wake up every day and remember, and every person on this earth should wake up and remember, they're only alive by a gift from God. In fact, everything that we see that's alive on this earth is only alive because God has chosen to give those gifts to us. First Timothy 6, 13 says, God gives life to all things. So that little puppy that you're going to give for Christmas this year? Is anyone getting a puppy this year? That could be a good idea and a bad idea. But the little puppy, do you know who gave life to that puppy? God. Or that food that was harvested and then prepared and put on your plate last night or this morning. God's the one who provided that. God gives us gifts. In fact, everything we have, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, remember the Lord your God. Don't forget God. (laughs) He's the one who gives power. He gives wealth. And can we just say, Americans, that we are the wealthiest people that have ever walked the planet, right? Maybe Adam and Eve might have been wealthier, just what they had. But the idea is, is that if you had a meal every day this past week, if you slept in a bed, if you have money in the bank account, you're wealthy. Do you know who gave that to you? Hey, hey, kids in here, do you know who gave you all the things you have? Those toys that are your precious possessions? Guess what? They're not yours. Yes, God's given them to you to steward, but they're actually given to you by God. And, And the point is, at Christmas, we need to remember that God is the giver, 
of, yes, physical things, but most importantly, God is the one who supernaturally gives to us the gift of himself for those who believe in Jesus Christ. The very nature of God is one of which is giving. God is a giving God. The triune God is a God who gives. That's his loving nature. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they all interact in a giving, loving relationship. In fact, think about, think about the Father in Romans 8, 32. says, the Father, he didn't spare his own son. In other words, he didn't hold him back. He sent him. He gave him up for us all. And, and so therefore, he now will give us, that's the believers, he will give us all things. So the father, he gives, and the son, he gave up his life. That was the testimony of, this is the testimony of Paul the Apostle. He says, I have faith in the son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. The son gives, the father gives, the son gives, and the spirit is the one who gives life. And so tomorrow, as you celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's remember this. When we give those gifts, we're reflecting, we're imaging, we're mirroring God as the one who's the giver. We should do that out of joy. This morning, what I want us to consider are the supernatural gifts given to us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And those are three gifts we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1. And so I, what I want you to do this, this morning is consider God's gifts and receive his gifts as your own. Receive the gift of his grace, his word, and his salvation. And so we're going to talk about God's Christmas gifts this morning. That's the title of the sermon, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. And I'm just going to talk through the story and read the story as we go along here this morning. And so notice with me in Luke 1.26. Notice the scriptures introduces to us a lady, a young lady named Mary. Mary was just a common girl from the country of countryside of Galilee. Mary had her whole life in front of her, really. Her life was kind of what any young girl at that time would have dreamed of. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. She would have grown up in the same town as him in Nazareth. Nazareth was about 400, 500 people, so likely they knew each other. Their families would have arranged the marriage, and they would have had a commitment that they would have made together in this betrothal time where they would commit to faithfulness until the wedding ceremony. And Mary would have probably been around age 13 or 14 years of age. Usually that's when the age of betrothal started for a young lady, 12, 13, 14, young teenager. So imagine this is who we're talking about. Mary would have been in this time period of waiting where she was already betrothed. And now she's waiting for Joseph. Joseph would have made a commitment to marry her. Mary's dad would have made a commitment of a dowry. This is what he's going to pay for it. And then Joseph would have gone to, to build a home, to get his life ready, to make sure he can financially support her. She would be waiting at her parents' house, waiting for Joseph at some point to come and get her, take her to her, uh, to his father's house, and then be able to have a wedding ceremony and then wed him. And so this story takes place in that betrothal period 
And so you'd imagine Mary is at this just normal girl thinking about her future. She's a girl who is, her testimony is that she's devoted to God. She's kept herself pure for her husband, for her future husband. She's a virgin. She's faithfully waiting for him to come and get her. So notice this is where we enter into Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We don't know really where Mary is. Maybe she's on a walk. Maybe she's in her home. But notice verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So an angel appeared to Mary. And notice the angel came from God. Verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. In other words, God chose to work in this young lady's life. And let me remind you of something, that if you are under the preaching of God's word right now, if you're listening to this, God is at work in your life. And the question is not if God is working in your life. The question is, are you listening to him and are you responding to him in faith? So here God is working in a very special way in, in this young girl's life by sending the angel Gabriel. Daniel chapter 8, we read of Daniel, or we read of the angel Gabriel appearing to Daniel, and, and Daniel is so shocked. You remember the story? He, he falls down on his face, but Daniel chapter 8 describes the angel Gabriel as looking like a man. So, so we're going to assume in this story that Mary saw the angel Gabriel. He looked like a man, but clearly he's more than just a man. He's a messenger of God. He's otherworldly, and so you can see the shock of Mary here. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So here she responds with this fear. This, this, she's troubled. She's greatly troubled. This is not your ordinary acquaintance who knocks on your door at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like she saw a supernatural being, right? This is incredible for her. But what's interesting, it's such a simple greeting. Greeting, that, that word greeting means rejoice. Like, hey, you, good news for you. Rejoice. I got something to tell you. But the greeting, though it was ordinary, there was something extraordinary that he communicated. Notice what he communicates in verse number 28. Greetings. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, you might see that phrase, oh, favored one, and think that's a title that he's addressing her by, but it's not. Actually, it's a verb. He's saying, he's saying you are favored by God. So greetings, oh, favored one, one favored, or you could actually say like this, one graced by God. This is a passive verb. This means that God is the one who's doing the action upon her. And that word favored actually has as its root word, the word charis, or which is translated many times in the New Testament as grace. So you could actually translate this like this, rejoice one graced by God. God is with you. So here the Lord is giving 
grace to Mary. What is grace? Grace is God's favor towards a person. It's really God's favor towards a person who doesn't deserve it, which is every person on earth. Nobody deserves anything from God except one thing, and that is eternal separation from God because of our sin. That is eternal wrath because of our sin. So grace is God doing the opposite. God is giving us favor. It's his loving work to those who don't deserve it. It's that God works to the, for those that he, God works in your life and you have no reason in and of yourself that you should have what God gives you. Grace is what God gave to that criminal next to Jesus on the cross. Remember that criminal on the cross next to Jesus? There was one who mocked Jesus and there was another one who turned to Jesus. And that criminal was there because he was guilty. He was guilty of a crime. He deserved to die. He deserved to go to hell. But then he turned to Jesus. He he said, you have done nothing wrong. And he believed in Jesus. And what Jesus gave him was grace. Because Jesus promised today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And guess what? That criminal never got baptized. (laughs) That, That criminal never went to church. God gave him what he didn't deserve. And that is, he forgave him and he gave him the gift of heaven. In fact, in the New Testament... When you see the word, English word gift, the root word of that is that word grace or charis. It's the Greek word, charis. So for instance, 1 Peter 4.10, the Bible says that God gives believers a spiritual gift or charisma or charis. So God gives believers a spiritual grace from his manifold grace. And the point is here, what I'm trying to get across is this, is that what the angel is saying here is he's saying, I, God is going to give you something and it's his grace. And Mary, you don't deserve what God's giving you. See, a lot of people think of Mary and they think, oh, this, this holy, perfect girl. And therefore that's why God did this in her life. Can I tell you, these words right here are saying, that's not the case. God didn't look down from heaven and say, oh, Mary, she's perfect. Therefore, she's going to be the one to have the son of God. That's not actually how it happened. God says, no, I'm going to give you something, Mary, that you don't deserve. You didn't earn. Roman Catholicism believes that Mary is the giver of grace. She's called the mother of grace. And they teach that she was so holy that she earned grace and she's able to give grace. And therefore, you can pray to, they teach, you can pray to Mary and Mary will give you grace. But there's two problems with that. Number one, the Bible does not teach that. And number two, it actually goes against the gospel because the Bible says that there's only one mediator. There's only one person between God and us. And that is the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator that can bring our prayers to God. Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. Mary's not that one. Mary was a sinner, just like you and I. Mary needed grace, just like you and I. Grace only comes from God to you through Jesus Christ. And he does it by the power of his Holy Spirit. In fact, if you think about Mary, 33 years after this happens, Mary will find herself in an upper room. Jesus will have already ascended up into heaven. And she's with all the disciples And they're on their knees, 120, and they're praying to the Lord. And you notice in that room, nobody's praying to Mary. Right? You know why? Because Mary was praying as well. (laughs) 
She, she, couldn't, she couldn't do anything for them more than Christ could. She was just a regular person. She needed grace, just like everybody else. So Mary and all of us, we need grace. And so God's giving her grace at this moment. Look at verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. I mean, it's like he just, he wants to make it clear that God has chosen to give you grace. Like you, God has chosen to give you favor. He's emphasizing that it's not because of her own doing. It's God's work. And, and, and Mary is to receive God's work of grace by faith. Many people have a misunderstanding of this gift of grace. I would say there's many Christian denominations that misunderstand this gift of grace. They view it as something that they have to do, that's something they have to earn. Like, I can get favor from God if I do this, this, and this. It's kind of like the story of, of a guy who decided he was going to send um, a friend a very special present. And this, this man lived in a, an exotic place, and so he went... He was going to send this present back to America to his friend. And so it was an exotic bird. And this, this bird could speak five different languages. It was an amazing bird worth thousands and thousands of dollars. So he, he sent it to his friend in America. And his friend got this bird, opened up the gift. And, and so then he called his friend and said, hey, did you, did you see my gift I, I got for you? What would you think of that gift? You know, and he's, he's thinking, this guy's going to open this gift and see this beautiful, colorful bird speaking all these different languages. He's going to be so impressed and he's going to think he's the greatest friend ever. And the guy replied back to him, oh yeah, I got your gift. It was a wonderful lunch. And what happened is the man misunderstood the nature of the gift, right? The gift wasn't for eating. <laughs> and some of you didn't get that. He, he ate the bird. He misunderstood the nature of the gift. The gift was actually something more valuable than he realized. And you know what's interesting? I think many people, they misunderstand the nature of God's gift. They misunderstand what grace is. They think, okay, I, I, I can earn this from God. I can go to church. I can pray. I can do these things. And when I do these things, then God will give me something in return. That's not actually how it works. That's not grace. So the grace that God was giving here to Mary in, in Luke 20, in Luke 1, 28, Luke 1, 29, is this supernatural grace that actually extends a relationship to her, that actually sets Mary apart unto himself. God gave grace to her, and she was one who received it because she was humble. Like the scripture says in James 4, 6, God, he gives more grace. This, this is the nature of God. He just he just desires to give out his work of love to you. He desires to give you favor. But notice this. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So, so you notice that right there. It's, it's not like Mary was like, I'm such a good person. Yeah, that's why I got this. No, God gives grace to the humble. So the grace of God to, to set us apart unto himself, the grace of God to, to reconcile us to him through Jesus Christ only comes by humble faith by a person approaching God and saying, God, I have nothing in my hands that I bring. I, I only can cling to Jesus Christ and I trust in you alone. So what do you need for Christmas this year? As you think about your list for Christmas, what do you need? I think at the top of your list should be this right here. You need grace. You need grace. 
If you're in here and you're trapped in your sin, grace can free you. If you feel hopeless and lost, grace can bring you to God. If you're joyless and you're empty, grace can fill you. If you're restless and anxious, grace gives you peace. Grace is God's favor to those who are humble before him in faith. And Christian, you need grace every day, every moment of your life. Grace is that fuel that ignites our love for God. And you might think to yourself, oh, I, I think I need something else. I, I think I need, I need to get married. That, that will help me out. Or I need to have children. Or I need this, this new job. Or I need this. I, if I can just get this or I can just do this, then that, that's what's going to help me. Can I tell you what the Bible says? The Bible says you need God's loving work in your life. You need grace. Think about Paul the Apostle. He says, oh, Lord, please remove this from my life. And we don't know what that thing was, but please remove this from our life, from my life. He asked the Lord three times, and what was the Lord's response to him? He said to me, Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is all that you need. And Christian, can I tell you, God's grace is what you need. And if you don't know Christ, you need God's grace by humbling yourself before him and saying, I'm a sinner. I need grace through Christ. And so God's gift you need to receive this Christmas is the gift of grace. And it's also the gift of his word. Notice in verse Starting in verse 30, you see that God gave Mary a message, a very special message, verse 30. Look down in your Bibles at Luke 1.30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So the word of God came to Mary, and this is an incredible revelation from God, is it not? I mean, the angel Gabriel revealed, yes, yeah, she's going to have a baby. We're going to get to that in a moment. That's incredible that she could do that as a virgin. But also, this baby is going to be unique. It's going to be special. Notice in verse 30 or 31, notice she is to call his name Jesus. And Jesus was a very common name in the first century. It's like in our, well, what's, what's a common name now? Bob, Sam, I don't know if that's that common, Joe. It was just a, it was just a name that, that, that men would have. It's very ordinary. So what, she's, what he's saying here, you're going to call him Jesus. He's going to be an ordinary man. He's going to grow up as an ordinary boy. He's going to be a common person. But though he is going to be ordinary, his mission is going to be very special. Because his name was chosen intentionally because of its meaning. What's the meaning of Jesus? It means Yahweh, that's God's name, Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. So guys, we need to switch to this microphone. Feel free to do it. Yahweh saves. And so Jesus' name actually 
demonstrates why he came. In fact, the scripture says in Matthew chapter, oops, I don't have it up there, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, to Joseph, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why is that? For he shall save his people from their sins. This is the reason he came. So his name, Jesus, it shows that he's going to be a man. He's going to be ordinary. Yeah, has a special mission. But then notice in verse 32, also, he will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. So he would be called Jesus. He's human. But also the son of God, the son of the most high. That's a name for God, the most high. So here's a reference to his deity. Jesus is going to be born into this world. He is a man. He will become man, but he is already God, and he will remain God. So he's the son of God. That means he's co-equal, co-eternal to the Father. By saying that he's the son of God means that he's one in essence, one in being with the Father. He's a part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the child to be born in Mary will be and is God. That means he's always existed. He always will exist. And so here's what's happening in this virgin conception. There will be one to be born who will have two natures. One who is God, but one who becomes man. It's incredible to consider was revealed to Mary, but also what was revealed to Mary, not just his humanity and his deity, but also, notice in verse 32, that he will be the Messiah. Verse 32, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. The Jewish people had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. They had longed for the Messiah to come. And here we see God is fulfilling the promises in his word. Not just to Mary, but to God's people. And so Mary is hearing these incredible words about Jesus, that he is going to be the Messiah Notice in verse 34 how she responds to this message from God. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? What's interesting to do here is to contrast how Mary responds to this incredible news to Zechariah and earlier in this chapter and how he responds. See, Zechariah was told his barren wife would have a baby in her old age. And his response in verse 18 of chapter 1 is, how will this be? Really, his question to the angel and to the revelation of God was really a question of doubt. Like, how is that possible? We've been waiting for a baby for years. And my wife's old. Come on. Is that really even possible? That, That was kind of the response he was giving. His was one of doubt. How do you know that? Well, one of the ways, well, you know, as God says it, but the other way is that he actually asked for a sign. He's like, prove it to me. You know what God does? He gives him a sign. And the sign was, you're not going to speak anymore until your baby is born. Mary's question was not one of doubt. 
Hers was really one of faith. And it's interesting to notice the difference. She asked, how can this be since I'm a virgin? In other words, she's not saying if it's going to happen. She's like, how is it going to happen? She was saying, she was saying this, I believe it. So tell me, what, how does this work? Because obviously I know how it works, and that's not how it works. And it's an important distinction here. Because we are to go to God's word. And receive God's word as a gift. We're to believe what God's word says. But there's some very difficult things to understand in the word of God, isn't there? There, Sometimes you come across truths, like even the one where we talked about that Jesus is God, truly God, and he's truly man. He has two natures. How does that work? I don't know, but I believe it. And it's okay to ask questions like Mary did. Ask questions, you know, how does this work? And what? And there comes a point, though, in many of those questions where you say, I don't know completely. There's, there's a mystery to it. But I, I trust it's true because God's word, God's word says it. And that's different than going to God's word and saying, ah, did God really say that? Does that really mean that? You know, was there really a global flood? I know the Bible says it, but... There's got to be a workaround for it. Did Jesus really do those miracles? Maybe he was walking on some rocks on the water, and that's how he was walking on water, right? And and you look at God's word, and you disbelieve it. You say, well, maybe there's another way around this. But that's not how we should approach the scripture. Zechariah, he doubted God's word, so he questioned God's word. Mary, she believed God's word, and she asked questions to clarify. Many times people come to the scripture like Zechariah and they question and then they say, God, okay, I don't know if this is true or not, so prove it to me it's true. Like Zechariah did, prove it's true. I don't know if you love me or not, God. It says you love me, so the Bible says you love me, so God, if you do this for me, then I'll know you love me. Or, Lord, I don't know if you're real. Sometimes I feel like you're not, so Lord, give me a sign if you're real. Or, or, or I need to know what to do. Like, I have this decision to make. So, Lord, if, if I wake up tomorrow morning and, and my cup of coffee is turned like this, or, or if I see a red car go by my house, then I know you want me to do this. And, and so they, they want God to kind of prove what he's going to do by some kind of sign. L- listen to what Jesus said about that in Matthew 12, 39. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. So if you think like that, if you approach God like that, he's saying that's an evil and adulterous way to approach me. And why is that? Because church, God has already given us a sign. Do you know what the sign is? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you want to know God loves you, look to the cross. If you want to know if, if, God's real, Jesus resurrected from the dead. I'm sorry, but that doesn't happen unless you're God. Like, if you want to know what to do, read his word and trust his spirit to guide you. So we must believe the word of God. And that's what Mary does, this this humility she has to receive. I mean, really, come on. Some of the most incredible news a person could ever hear. You're going to have a baby, you're a virgin, and he's going to be God. She believed it. Verse 35, an angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So how could a virgin conceive? Mary was told, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will hover over your womb. This recalls back to Genesis chapter 1, where the Holy Spirit was the agent who was present to bring about all that the Son of God spoke into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, the triune God created from the Father, through the words of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here in Luke 1.35, the triune God provides salvation from the Father through the Son being sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can, you, can I just tell you this? God worked the same way in Genesis 1 as he worked here in Luke chapter 1, and he's working the same way today. The triune nature and work of God continues throughout eternity. And then notice, he just has to throw this in there just in case someone misses it and doubts. Verse 35, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. There is his deity. He will be equal. He is equal with the father and the spirit. And then notice, Mary didn't ask for a sign, but God gave her one anyways. Verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So God gave her a sign, even though she didn't ask for it. Mary believed the word of God. Again, she hadn't seen the sign yet. So it's not like she saw the sign. She's like, I believe it. Because notice verse 38. And Mary said, I'll see the sign and then I'll believe. Is that that what she said? No. This is really incredible. I I think I'm going to ask someone else's opinion on this. No, she said. Mary said, verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary received the word from God by faith. You know, church, God has given us a very precious gift, and it's the word of God. We are to read it, to love it, to study it, because we love God. God. God's word is to be believed. And I I think about this next year as we go into 2024. And I I I ask you this question. What's your plan for this year to read God's word? What's your plan to memorize God's word? I I have the bulletin somewhere. But on the front of the bulletin, we have those scripture memory verses. Those are for our children. But guess what? You can memorize God's word too. God's word is a gift to you to receive and to believe. And then last of all, God, oop, I was already there. God's gifts you need to receive this Christmas is the gift of salvation. Why did God the Father send the Son to be supernaturally conceived in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit? He did it to rescue us from our sins. Again, Jesus' name means Yahweh saves, God saves, and God saves through his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived a holy life that you have not lived and you could never live. Jesus came and died on the cross 
to gain victory over death so we can have eternal life. And Jesus rose from the dead to earn our salvation, to get victory over death so you can have eternal life. So Jesus came as God's gift to you to give you the gift of salvation. And do you know that even Mary needed a savior? Look down in verse number 46. Look in verse 46. After Mary hears all this news, she, she bursts forth into singing at her cousin Elizabeth's house, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. There she is right there. She recognizes that, yes, Mary needs a Savior. In fact, nine months later, she's going to be with that little infant. The infant's going to be held in her arms and there's going to be shepherds that are going to visit Mary. And the shepherds are going to say, we saw an angel and then we saw a multitude of angels and this was their message, glory to God in the highest. The message was that there would be a savior who would be born. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. The Messiah is coming. He is this baby and he is one who rescues us. And really central to the coming of Jesus Christ is this, is that he came to save souls. He came to save your soul. Earlier, I gave these kids a candy cane. And I gave that, I specifically said, I gave that to them as a gift. That means I didn't require them to do anything to earn it. Now, technically, I did say, please stand up here and sing, But if they would have gone down, they could have kept their candy cane. And the point is, it was a gift. It wasn't something where I said to them, hey, you you have to have it. You know, if a little boy up here said, I don't want this, I would be, no, it's a gift. You have to have it. No, the nature of a gift is what? It can be rejected. And the nature of God's gift to us is that you can reject it. In fact, people automatically reject God's gift until they receive it by faith. But also the nature of God's gift is that you don't earn it. Now, I didn't tell the kids, okay, kids, if you guys, you guys can have that candy cane if you, if you clean the church. You know, there's a lot of crumbs out here. If you pick up 10 crumbs, you can have that candy cane. <laughs> no, it's, it's a gift. And God's gift to us is free. It was paid for by Christ's blood, but it's free to us to be received by repentance and faith. One of my favorite songs I sing, we sing at Christmas is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Do you know the history behind that? We're going to sing that as our next song. Let me tell you a little history behind it. There was a man named Charles Wesley in 1739. Charles Wesley was, the year before that, he had just become an Anglican minister. And him and his brother, John and Charles, decided they were going to go to Georgia and they were going to try to convert the heathen colonists in Georgia, at the time it wasn't America yet, you know, so we weren't as bad as the British might think we were after that. Anyways, so they came over here, and they were going to convert people through good works. You see, Charles and John thought that if people just read their Bibles more, and they went to church more, and they tried to be better, then they could be better people, and they could be saved by God. 
They, they were going to have people follow Christ by trying to be good enough for Christ. And so they would go around and they would preach this good works, salvation, and they miserably failed. Because nobody wants to turn from their sin by trying to be better, or at least it's not possible to do that. In fact, John or Charles Wesley wrote in his journal when he was coming back from his trip back over to England, he, write, he wrote about this trip this, life to me is bitterness. Not only because people rejected his false gospel, but also because he realized he couldn't even save himself. Like he still felt empty and alone and guilty. So he went back to England and he became sick and actually had to live with a man who was very poor named William Bray. William Bray, though, had a genuine relationship with Christ. William Bray believed that you could only receive salvation from God by his grace as it's received through faith. And so Charles Wesley saw this. In fact, William Bray and some other people gave uh, Charles a gift, and that was Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And so he began to read that. He began to see this man's life. And he read Galatians 2.16, which says, We know a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And God so worked in Charles' life, especially when he was laying in bed sick and he was thinking, he's trying his best to, to, to earn God's favor, and he realizes he can't. The works of the law, the, the works of religion can't save him. So he cried out to Christ and said, Lord, only you can save and he trusted in Jesus Christ, and he was gloriously saved. And he wrote this in his journal on May 21st when he came to Christ. I now found myself at peace with God and rejoiced in the hope of a loving Christ. I saw that by faith I stood, by the continual support of faith. And he wrote, I went to bed still sensible of my own weakness, yet confident of Christ's protection through the cross. And then a couple months later, he wrote, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And he wrote this in praise to God for his salvation. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing, you know, Hark means listen. <laughs> listen to the angels. Listen to what they're saying. Hark the Herald, the messengers of God. Listen to what they're singing. Glory be to the newborn king. Peace on earth, mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful. All ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. And when we sing the song, I want you to think through his story. And remember, this is a testimony of praise that, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. One of those was Charles Wesley, and he trusted in Christ. And friend, can I tell you that every person's a sinner. And if you call upon Jesus Christ, he can save you from your sins. And you can have the greatest gift. That is the gift of Jesus Christ. And that is the gift he gives to us through Christ, which is the gift of salvation. So here's the question for you. Have you received God's gifts by faith? Have you received what he says in his word? Have you, have you received salvation? It's through Christ alone. All who receive him, that's Christ, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Let's pray.